All right, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, and this is episode 15, traveling back to 1994 to look at the May 16 episode of Monday Night Raw up against the May 17 episode of ECW TV. Um, big thank you to everyone that's downloaded the last episode we dropped this morning. Um, rushing through to get a few of these done before I go down to the Gold Coast for a week-long football tournament. Um, hopefully I'll have some stuff in the can to drop out before then. And of course, as always, try and check us out on Twitter, Facebook, or on 4CRonline.com or at 4C Radio on Twitter, um, where we're up with some of the other wrestling podcasts on the go there at the moment, including my favourite, New Blood Rising podcast. Please be sure to check those guys out there as well. Also, really enjoyed having the um, the tweets to read out on the pay-per-view episodes. If anyone has anything to say about the upcoming pay-per-views, mainly World War Three, and I believe we're up to Survivor Series in 1995, yep, um, send through some messages there, or any of the upcoming Raw or Nitros as well. Um, and any other requests for shows predating 1995's timeline, if you like, get in touch with us on Twitter, obviously, for any of those suggestions. All that housekeeping out the way. Um, one last thing, I hope you'll notice the improvement in audio quality on this episode. I have been and purchased a brand new proper microphone stood here on my desk in front of me, so hopefully it comes through loud and clear this time. Um, any feedback on that, particularly anyone that knows better than I do, please again feel free to get in touch. Uh, without any further ado, it's time to see if ECW's TV show can fare better this time up against the WWF's flagship Monday Night Raw. Let's do it. Extreme As you can no doubt tell from the theme, we went to ECW first, so let's get started over on that side of the fence. We open up with some newspaper clippings being shown on screen of an article that listed Philadelphia as America's most hostile city. Um, keep that in mind because it's going to come into play later in the show. And then we see a pretty poorly edited highlights video. Um, not really anything to brag about here in the early videos of ECW. The production was pretty poor. Before we go to Maddie in the house, it talks about the clips about Philadelphia being called a hostile city and repeats the word hostile approximately 112 times. He basically says, hostile, 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 hostility, hostilities, hostility, hostile, hostile, hostile. Um, I really wanted him to die within 30 seconds of coming on screen, so let's hope that improves as the show goes on. The show then opens up properly with Paulie trying to recruit Public Enemy to take out Terry Funk for slapping him, which we see some video highlighters. Um, and we see that Public Enemy, the best way to describe them if you've never seen them, particularly in this era, is they look like a retarded white version of Cypress Hill. After 
this recap, we go back to Maddie in the house who says hostile some more. That's pretty much it. Before we get a recap video showing us the Bobby Eaton and Sabu tag matchup against AA Arn Anderson and Terry Funk, the way this recap works is Maddie calls a move in the studio, then we throw out a video of seeing that one move. Um, and it's really, it's like pulling teeth. It's pretty tedious, if I'm being honest. Arn Anderson looks pretty out of place in ECW as well for someone that never really sort of saw him in ECW before. And we see the angle of the match is Terry Funk had a hold of the chair and went to hit Sabu, who got out the way, and he nailed Arn Anderson. Sabu then got a hold of the chair and hit Terry Funk with the weakest chair shots in the history of wrestling before AA rescued him, took the chair, but then wailed away on Terry Funk himself, taking out his leg with the chair. At this stage of the show, we're actually 10 minutes into ECW and we've not had a single match or anything live, so it's getting pretty dull at this point, but it was good to see where the storylines were up to. We then get a promo from Terry Funk talking about how he wants to do something special before retirement um, in the year 2016. You know how ridiculous that sounds, but he says in order to achieve it, he's going to bring back his brother, Dory. We then get a weird public enemy promo. Um, the first part of it is him stood on train tracks saying this is our home. So if you weren't aware where public enemy resided, it was on a train track. So that was very informative for me. The promo itself is actually a collection of different clips from different po promos from the public enemy all spliced in to tell a narrative about how they're rough. Um, it was pretty boring. And by the time this was done, we're about 16, 17 minutes into the show and we still had nothing live or even any a wrestling match shown so far. And it all builds towards letting us know that there will be a tag match between the Public Enemy and Dory and Terry Funk. After this, we cut back to Maddie in the house, who tells us that tonight we've been taking a humorous look at the word hostile. Um, I'm just going to give you a recap of what happened in my living room here rather than on the TV. I looked at the TV, I said, fuck right off. I pressed pause, I got up and I did some laundry. I spent half an hour out of the room before coming back, able to put the show back on. At this stage, I'm going to estimate Maddie had said hostile 56 times legitimately. That's not an exaggeration. It was starting to really piss me off. We then cut back to the public enemy who do cut, I think, a live promo, or one that's been taped for this show now, on the funks, before going back to Maddie in the house, who once again says the word hostile repeatedly. This is... It's gone beyond the hammerlock scale here at this point. Apologies, Richie, but I think I'm going to have to start calling the scale for worst match of the night now the hostile hammerlock scale because this has even surpassed Bobby Eaton's splendid moment. Finally, 20-something minutes into the show, we do go and have a match, though, but it's just Sal Blomo up against Mr. Hughes, so nothing to get too excited about. Um, all this time to wait for the first ECW match of the show, and it's Curtis fucking Hughes. For anyone not aware who Sal Belomo was, and I certainly was before, wasn't before doing the podcast, he looks like the inspiration for Ready to Rumble's Jimmy King character. Um, he just looks like an absolute fucking idiot. Joey Styles with the obvious comment of the night where he tells us that Mr. Hughes, despite being big, isn't a bodybuilder. He doesn't count calories. Well, no shit, Joey. Looking at Sal's outfit as well, I know he said he looks a bit like Jimmy King. Um, he also appears to have squishy clogs on, so some really strange foot attire for this match, but hey, each their own. And this match is going on while I'm sort of writing all these notes about their attire and who's in the ring and Joey Styles' comments. I've not actually paused it at any stage. I just haven't done anything. Um, there's lots of lockups and breaking the lockups, and it's pretty boring. No real moves before we get an eye rake, a punch, some stomps, some punches. 
And um, a missed avalanche by Mr. Hughes there is really the first spot of the night. This allows Sal Belomo to hit a few punches on Mr. Hughes as Joey Styles blatantly roots for Sal, so interesting commentary there. He comes off the ropes with two shoulders that don't send Mr. Hughes down before Jason trips him on at the third attempt. This allows Mr. Hughes to hit his finisher, the sidewalk slam, and get the three count in a completely waste of time, dull match. And just when I think things couldn't get any worse, we're told that up next we will have the franchise. Great. Oh, and before we get to the franchise, we go back to Maddie in the house, who says hostile. And then when we finally do go over to Shane Douglas, guess what he says? Hostile. In case you didn't know, because I probably didn't mention it earlier in my ranting and raving, they are leading up to the Hostile City Showdown, which is why they keep doing this. But, God, it's annoying. Imagine if coming into WrestleMania, for example, they get bad enough with a stupid pointing to the bloody sign and WrestleMania moment this and WrestleMania moment that. But imagine if you had, like, say, Triple H saying, I'm going to WrestleMania pedigree you when I WrestleMania defend my title and have the best WrestleMania match of all WrestleMania time. That's what this is, but with the word hostile. So you'll get my point here soon enough. All right, and after the Shane Douglas promo, we go back to Maddie to say hostile. You see what I'm getting at here, guys? We then go to a promo from um, Tommy Cairo, who's in the back. He's proceeding to tell us on camera how he was beaten up by the Sandman before the Sandman comes from out of nowhere and lamps him with a Singapore cane and just says instant replay, which pops me big time. Then Sandman humorously throws us to a commercial break, and as the camera's panning out, he yells in the background, pay your bills, which again pop me. This was the first bright spot of the show so far. When we come back, we get a Sandman promo who's with Woman, um, a.k.a. Nancy Benoit, and that's a little bit uncomfortable to watch, but hey, it is what it is for the time. Sandman's hair, by the way, I don't even know how to describe it. It is awful. You've got to see it to believe it. Just look for Sandman 1994 on Google Images and you'll see what I'm talking about. And um, Woman then lights Sandman's cigarette, and just as she goes to speak the first word out of her mouth, my network freezes dead, so that was a little bit eerie too, um, for those of you that... Um, I don't know, get a kick out of those sort of supernatural things. It was pretty funny. Promo comes and goes. It's nothing special. And we go back to Maddie, who says hostile a few more times uh, before we get a decent promo from Paulie on the funks. And then we throw back to Maddie to say hostile yet again, which then leads us to our main event of the evening, the Pitbull, defending his television championship against Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey Whipwreck, for anyone that doesn't know him or hasn't seen him from this time, the best way I can describe him is... Picture your Sunday markets and the guy that sells the dream catchers with the cigarette lighters and the black t-shirts with skulls and flames on them, and you'd have a pretty good idea what Mikey Whipwreck looks like. Um, interesting. Before the match gets underway, the crowd get all over the pit bull, and I actually, I didn't click at first, and then I realized they were chanting shitball at him, which was pretty funny. I mean, it's, it's not the greatest humor, but it made me laugh. I know I'm a child. And then we go into a we want Taz chant really riling up the Pitbull. But um, Pitbull has none of it and gets right on Mikey the Pikey, stomping the shit out of him right from the off. Hitting him with slams, high kicks to the head. Um, I've got a different commentator for this match as well. I'm not sure who it is. It might have been Maddie, but by this point I'd really tuned out the voices anyway. He puts Mikey in a camel clutch, breaks it, gives him another high kick. He's really just beating the shit out of him at this point. Hits him with a leg drop, but breaks the pin at two. He could have had him, but he pulls him up. Hits him with a belly-to-belly suplex before sitting him on the top rope like he was going to superplex him and instead kicks him in the head and knocks him out of the ring. Brings him back in and hits a powerbomb, but before he can do anything else, Taz comes out, um, gets on the apron, and um, Pitbull goes to kick him in the head, but Taz drops down, crutching the Pitbull in the process. 
falls backwards and Mikey gets on him for the pin, just sort of drapes an arm over him. The Pitbull's shoulders are never down at any point, but the referee counts three and we have a new television champion despite not hitting a single offensive move, Mikey Whipwreck. This actually uh, reminds me of the time Manchester City lost to Wigan 1-0 despite Wigan not registering a single shot on target. Um, it's that kind of affair where you just you, you know what's happened, but you can't quite see how. The, um, the title change, though, does, however, bring a big pop. The crowd enjoyed it. Um, he didn't do a single move, as I said, but they dug the underdog getting the win. Didn't do anything for me, but I wasn't watching at the time, so I probably didn't have a chance to build up sympathy for Mikey Whipwreck. And then we cut back to Terry Funk and Dory saying we're Funks, but the promo lasts literally six seconds. They must have run out of TV time, and that's the end of the show. So um, take it for what it is. We'll head over to Monday Night Raw and see if they've got anything more captivating on that side of the fence. Opens up with a video package highlighting the upcoming sumo match between Yokozuna and Earthquake. Fuck yeah, can't wait. And all I can think at this point is fuck you Big Show and Okabono, you have got nothing on Yoko and the Quakester. We've got Vince McMahon and the Macho Man Randy Savage on commentary, which was always hit and miss, but hey, it is what it is. And my network just keeps on jumping. Literally, it plays one minute, then goes to the end 10 seconds. I'm going to come back in, go back to where I was, one minute, end 10 seconds. So this was becoming a bit of a chore straight away, um, but we'll get through it somehow. First match of the night is a King of the Ring qualifier between Bam Bam Bigelow and Thurman Sparky Plug. Or as Vince tells us, Thurman Plug, but his friends call him Sparky. No, Vince. No, they don't. Macho Man and Vince, by the way, run through absolutely every car pun you can think of. I love love a good pun, um, but not a hundred of them in two minutes. Give it a rest, boys. The action starts off pretty hot and heavy. A lot of reversals, Irish whips, um, avoiding before Bob Holly gets a really nice drop kick to end a sequence early on. Uh, but Bam Bam comes back with an eye rake, a body slam, and then a world's strongest slam type fall. Vince McMahon tells us, this is not a time trial, it's the race itself. Vince, I've already told you once, don't push my buttons. Luna, of course, Bam Bam's main squeeze is on the outside, screaming for Bam Bam, and as usual, she looks absolutely nutty, as mad as a box of frogs, but I love it, it's great. Thurman does attempt to fight back a little bit, tries to get back on the offense, but Bama cuts him off with a really sick-looking enziguri. Always love when Bam Bam did that move. Before locking in a chin lock, which he doesn't keep on for too long, hits uh, Bob with a knee lift and then a falling headbutt for a two-count. Macho Man tells us that Thurman Plug needs a pit stop and needs to change tires, and that, that just doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, apologies as well, I know I keep swapping between Thurman Plug and Bob Holly, but I'm assuming you all know what I'm talking about here. It is hard to keep saying Thurman Plug, so sue me. Sparky then avoids an avalanche before hitting a bulldog and a DDT and goes up top for a flying crossbody for a two count. Uh, Vince McMahon does his usual, he got him, he got him, no he didn't. And Macho comes out with a really good line, you've got to learn to count, McMahon. I'm excited too, but come on, it just cracked me up. Uh, Bob Holly hits a small package for a two count before Luna trips him up, allowing Bam Bam to nail a clothesline, and then goes to the apron, jumps over the top rope with a springboard-type headbutt for the one, two, and the three in a decent little opener and a good King of the Ring qualifying match there. 
We then throw to Todd Pettengale, who gives us a special King of the Ring report. And the one thing I have noticed going back to watching the 93 and 94 Raws especially is for weeks and weeks, sometimes months leading up to a pay-per-view, they would have these special reports. At first it was Mean Gene, and then when he buggered off to WCW, it was Todd Pettengale. And they go for an age. They're so boring. It's just a rundown of every match on the card. And um, this one came on, and even though I'm reviewing it, I just left it playing while I went in the kitchen and made a brew. So if he said anything important, I do apologize. I couldn't be arse watching it. When I came back in, he was just wrapping up, talking about the um, Roddy Piper and Jerry Lawler match at King of the Ring. So the whole time my kettle boiled and I made my drink, it was still going. So obviously that tells you the, the length of it all. When we come back, we see Intercontinental Champion Diesel up against Mike Moraldo. Um, and we're told that Vince McMahon will be taking on Bret the Hitman Hart at King of the Ring for the WWF title. So chance for Diesel to hold both single straps at the same time, a la the Ultimate Warrior. Mike Moraldo tries to get on the offense early with some punches, but Diesel grabs him by the throat with one hand, and it's a sort of chokeslam move, just lifts him off the mat and throws him over the top rope, made him look like a monster. And when he gets back in, Diesel hits him with a huge big boot, so really good. But then he picks him up for a bear hug, and I'm thinking, this is going to be a squash match. Come on, no rest holds, please. Thankfully, he listens to me. It doesn't last long. He hits a sidewalk slam before putting him in the corner for his big boot choke. And then the commentators are just hyping him up huge, talking about how he could be the champion. He's this, he's that. They were really into him. And I remember uh, seeing a Shawn Michaels interview once where he was talking about how Vince was falling over Diesel at this time. And he felt a little bit put off that Vince wasn't seeing that it was working with him, that was improving him. And um, how he wanted to push Diesel to the moon before Shawn really got that chance. While all this hype is going on, Diesel finishes off the match. He hits a snake eyes in the corner before picking him up for the jackknife and sticking a foot on the chest for the one, two, and the three. It was a um, decent squash and really showcased Diesel. We then go to a random person on the street talking about an Undertaker sighting. There's a lot of these coming into um, SummerSlam 94, and I can't wait to get there and review that one for you guys. Um, Favourite of mine as a kid, but I'm not sure how well it'll hold up. Up next, when we've been to the commercial and come back, we've got Jerry the King Lawler in the ring to give us an episode of The King's Court. And he's in there with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, and Nikolai Volkov. Um, Nikolai Volkov, he earlier on, had been in the crowd, and Jerry Lawler had talked about how he was broke um, in a previous episode of Raw. He'd lost all his money. And now this story here is that he's working for Ted DiBiase because he has no money. Um, Ted's basically calling himself his owner, and Jerry Lawler's insulting Nikolai at will here. He's wearing his old um, face attire from about 1990, where he's got the red coat on with the Russian flag and the American flag on at the same time, which they make fun of. DiBiase tells him he needs a new outfit if he's going to work for him, and he gives him some new tights to put on, which he eventually begrudgingly puts on over the tights he's already wearing, and they've got the scent signs on the side and, say, the property of the Million Dollar Man on the backside. Ted DiBiase making a former star dress in a belittling outfit and humiliating them. Um, I guess it really is true what they say that the Ted DiBiase character was the Vince McMahon character played in heel mode because think to all the stars that have had a beef with Vince and been brought back and been humiliated over the years. Um, There's so many of them, too many to name. Ted DiBiase also gives him a tuxedo t-shirt because he tells him he needs to dress better. If he gets him some shutter shades and an ecstasy tablet, then he'd fit right in at pretty much any festival these days, so good luck to him there. But the segment is getting a little bit long-winded. 
Um, they talk about the the um, power of Nikolai Volkov. He takes his shirt off and he's still barrel chested, but he's looking pretty old. But Vince talks about how powerful he is and name drops Mark Henry from the Olympic team. So bit of foreshadowing there. The segment ends with Ted DiBiase telling Nikolai to hold the ropes for him, which he duly does. And Vince McMahon says, I'm sure he'd like to hang him with that rope. Seems a tad extreme there. Escalated pretty quickly. The next match of the show is Owen Hart up against Tony Roy. Vince McMahon tells us they'll be doing a Hall of Fame induction in June and name drops all the guys that got inducted in the 1994 class. Owen Hart's in control of the match early with some big chops and a standing drop kick, which was quite nice. And then a nice snap suplex. Tony Roy's an interesting looking jobber. Um, don't want to cast aspersions about his character, but in my mind, if someone said to me, somebody was a, um, oh, what's a nice way to put this? Someone that enjoys the company of people less than legal age they said picture the haircut that person would have it would pretty much be tony roy's haircut here owen hits him with a gut wrench suplex and puts him in a chin lock where he's punching him while holding him there which was a nice little twist hits him with a nice knee and um i noticed the referee is a very slender looking tim white so maybe it was the weight gain that made him want to end his own life who knows Tony Roy fights back and attempts a drop kick, which he misses and sells like death because wrestling logic. So Owen grabs a hold of his legs, puts him in the sharpshooter, and gets the quick tap out victory. After the match, the referee's trying to clear Tony Roy's carcass off the mat, but Owen Hart says he'll help him out, picks him up and hits him with a big spinning heel kick, and then puts Brett's sunglasses on him and sort of lifts them because they're on the string and they snap back into his face, which was pretty funny. Um, we then go backstage and we see the top of a dumpster open. And in the dumpster, sleeping on a pile of garbage, is Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Fuck right off, 1994. Do not insult my intelligence like this. I'm not even going to recap what he said. It's a waste of time. But I can handle the minor gripes, because up next is the sumo match between Earthquake and Yokozuna. And this is actually, since I got the network, I decided I was going to go through the whole 90s wrestling. Um, this was one thing I was looking forward to seeing before getting the network. I had not seen an episode of Raw pre-1998 in my life. Um, I'd seen clips and matches on DVDs, and... I had many years ago bought a lot of discs of the 98 Raws to watch through that year because uh, it was my favorite year in wrestling, but everything predating that, not seeing it. So this was one of the highlights I was looking forward to. We're also told coming out of the commercial break that next week there'll be a King of the Ring qualifying match between Owen Hart and Earthquake, so looking forward to that one as well. And Fink introduces them sumo style. The ropes are off the ring, um, and we're told the way to win this match is to either push them over so something other than their feet hits the ground, or get them out of the ring, which seems a little bit dangerous, but hey, it's going to be interesting. Yoko comes out first with Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji, before we get Earthquake out in some sumo gear to a big pop. And yes, in the sumo gear, compared to Yokozuna, Earthquake is actually looking pretty trim. We get a, um, a slow sort of start once they get in there. There's a lot of posturing and posing and not much action early on. And the crowd eventually do get pretty restless with this. They're pretty keen to see these guys hook it up. On the fourth sort of um, stance, I guess, before locking up, they do finally make some contact. They hit each other with some shoulder blocks and the crowd get right into it early. Yoko gets Earthquake right to the edge of the rings and nearly gets him out before Quake reverses the situation and nearly gets Yoko out as well. The crowd really buying the false finishes here. And the crowd do show their appreciation with a huge Earthquake chant. And I'm really getting into this myself, and I think maybe I'm really WWF biased, but give me this ten times over the monster trucks once any day of the week, please. 
And then the match ends pretty quickly when Earthquake rears back and shoves Yoko, who takes a back bump. So he's hit the canvas and out, and for good measure also rolls out of the ring. So he's been sort of both the ways you can beat the opponent happened in one move there. Bit of a shock. I um, I didn't actually know the result of this going in, and I just assumed Yoko would win. So Earthquake got the win and a big pop for it, which was cool. Macho Man gets in and raises his hand. Um, whenever a babyface did something good on Raw, March seemed to jump in the ring early on. No problem there. Um, it does solidify Quake as the big babyface here. Um, Wurzel of OSW fame comes out and stops Yoko getting back in the ring. And then we're told about Quake and Owen Hart next week to end the show. Um, so overall an enjoyable main event sequence. Let's see how the rest of the show fared up against ECW. So for production value, it's quite simply WWF by a landslide. We won't go into that. The ECW production was terrible. Crowd heat, um, I went with WWF again. There was They were really into the main event. They were also into the uh, booing of Owen Hart and Diesel and the Bob Holly Bam Bam thing they were into a little bit, though there is an honourable mention for ECW for the shitball chant. Characters, I went with the WWF. They got Diesel over more. They got Owen Hart over more. Bam Bam and Thurman put on a decent enough match and advanced themselves. And, of course, Roddy Piper did some promo work for his match with Jerry Lawler as well. Um, so they got the characters over much more there. Earthquake and Yokozuna in the main event was pretty good as well. Storylines, I actually did go with ECW. This Raw seemed to be a bit of a holding Raw. It didn't really advance too many stories, more built-up characters for future stuff, whereas ECW did have the Funks and the um, poorly recruiting public enemy to go against some storyline running through the show, so that's the one thing it did do was promote a storyline. Match quality, uh, we're going to go with the WWF. Um, there was two matches on ECW, and they were both shit, so really there's not much competition here. Um Thurman and Bam Bam was match of the night for both shows, and that was nothing special. Um, though, even though it wasn't a match, I guess my personal favourite was the sumo match. It was just something different. Um, but far and away, no matter which way you slice it, the WWF matches were the best. I dare say the Owen Hart squash was better than either of the matches in ECW anyway. Um, so that's a pretty easy victory for Raw here. I'm not seeing the value in these early ECW shows. I might not even review anymore for another year or so yet now. Um, I'm still waiting to see what it was everyone raved about in early ECW. As I said earlier, despite the fact that I loved later w ECW, sorry. So it's a bit of a strange one for me. Um, but there you have it, another episode in the can, another 1994 Raw reviewed. Um, from here, if you'd like to see in our episodes that are going off the timeline of 95 onwards, feel free to give me a shout and see what you think we could put head-to-head. If I had the videos uh, of it, I'd love to review a SmackDown against a Thunder, and even a. Um, I'd love to do the little mini um, period of the Monday Night War between WWE and TNA. I think that'd be awesome to review, but it's just a matter of getting a hold of the footage for some of this stuff as well. Um, also, you may have noticed on Twitter I'm having some difficulties getting stuff from these shows into the audio here, so if anyone can help me out with that, do feel free to get in touch. Um, I'd love to advertise for an unpaid intern to do all the production, but I think that's a bit of a bastard move, so just a little bit of help would be nice. Um, uh, that'll do it for me. Um, as I did mention also on Twitter, we will look at bringing some people onto the show at some point. Um, I've got one or two ideas in mind, but if anyone's got any suggestions or anything they would like to see, again, let us know. And that'll do it for now. Hopefully we'll have another show or two out to come within the next week. Um, and I will talk to you all again soon. Thank you. 
Strumming my pain with his fingers Singing my life with his words Killing me softly with his song Killing me softly with his song Telling my whole life with his words Killing me softly with his song This is why Clef refuge can rise well. Little bass sitting up here on the bass. While I'm on this roast, I got my girl L. One time, one time. Hey yo, L, you know you got the lyrics. I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had a style. And so I came.